Episode 25. Now what? Greetings. I I am so pleased and I am honored to welcome you to yet another episode of CFD, Christianity for Dummies. Uh, Don't let the title keep you off track of what we're talking about. We have been on a very blessed path. We are working through the Bible as it is written, and we're making no assumptions as we dissect each and every part as the Holy Spirit leads, so then we may come to the best understanding of who God is and what it means to be a Christian. I am not a trained theologian or a scientist, and this is a fact I have repeated often thus not creating some sort of unnatural expectation or maybe unrealistic. I don't want people to misquote me in what I say. I simply want them to follow along, do their own research, come to their own conclusions, and I hope and I pray that God will lead them, lead you each on your journey as we move along together. We have started from the beginning, as the scriptures were written. We've walked step by step, not reeling to the right or to the left, so then God may actually prove his case as it is written. I want us to have a conversation. This is a conversation. My thoughts, my opinions, All will be based on what is written in the biblical accounts. If you find that some of the things that I say are maybe not palatable, maybe are not, hmm, you're having a hard time understanding, know that you're not the first one at this juncture. I believe that we all could learn something. I believe that we continue to learn lots of things. And if anyone tells you that they have absolutely 100% know and have come to the conclusion that they know everything about the Bible, then I would actually be very skeptic about what they say. Now, we observed as God created every aspect of our universe, we observed it in a systematic and very intelligible and followable, if I may be so bold, and you could actually assume that these plans that God had in his mind, his blueprints that he had in his mind, were there from maybe before time began. If something is coming into existence before time-space is even created, that means that it was always on God's mind. The one who is almighty, the one who is all-knowing, the one who's always existed, definitely had these things in their mind 
we could conclude. Because otherwise, where did it all come from? After creating the natural world as we see it and setting the laws of nature into motion, we see God creating mankind in his image. We've discussed a lot about what image that could be. The image of love, I presume. And then he put him in control and in charge of everything that he had created. Hmm. Why would God do that? Why would he put mankind, one of the species that he created, to be ruler of all? I could dig much deeper in terms of what's happened when people find themselves in power. Whether it's in the animal kingdom or with humanity but more specifically with humanity. You know, the animals just do what they do in nature. It's natural for them to just go with animal instincts. With humans, however, we've been given several controls in our brain power to be able to have not only self-control, but above all, a freedom to choose. Now, don't get me wrong. There are those who, due to different um, you could say identities, they're not able to consciously make a positive decision. Um, I cannot say this is the majority of the population. And I can even go as far as saying that even those who may seem that they cannot make uh, logical, positive, and negative choices, deep down inside they actually can. Now I'm also not talking about a little baby who has not learned anything as of yet. No, I'm talking about people who have passed through an age of accountability, you could say. An age of understanding. They're quote-unquote learned. Now, if I may begin, as it is written, then God looked over all he had made and he saw that it was excellent in every way. This all happened on the sixth day. God looked at what he had created and he decided that it was perfect in every way. This is not something that we can see without really thinking further into. Maybe you can pause right here and look up what it means to be perfect without fault. 
without blemish, not imperfect. Is this the world we see? Um, quite to the contrary. We see a fallen world. We see a world that is plagued with disease, disaster, killings, and all sorts of evil. How did this come to be? All creation is created perfectly, and even after mankind is created, he is still considered, because this statement, as it was written, it was on the sixth day. Mankind was there. God called mankind perfect. If you've spent any time within yourselves and then just looking in our world, you will know there is nothing perfect about us. Let us sink in for just a moment. God calls all creation perfect. Then we look at ourselves and we're nothing close to perfect. How did that happen? Well, we're told that there's a deceiver that came around. And this deceiver came about as a serpent. Shrewd, cunning, and trick, a trickster, you could say. Where did it come from? Where? How did it end up in the garden? For what purpose? When was he created? We will let the scriptures describe and also tell us more about this entity of a serpent or maybe another being disguised as a serpent. The all-knowing God knew about him. Nothing catches him off guard. Now Adam and Eve, uh, maybe more specifically Adam, was given uh, a, di a directive, a a condition, a command, more like a warning. As it is written, you may freely eat any fruit in the garden except fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you eat of its fruit, you will surely die. Hmm. Let's be honest, why did God place this tree where he then gave the freedom of choice to Adam and Eve, knowing full well that the deceiver would tempt them and that they would fall? 
Why such dire consequences for such a seemingly mundane directive? Hmm. We can only speculate here that God did it all while being motivated by love. Why did he place this tempting tree? By love. Why did he let the tempter come and tempt them? By love. Why did he give them the freedom of choice, the free will to be able to either partake as in go against his directives or choose not to? It is by love. Why did God give them this dire warning that came with the biggest consequences, negative consequences of this life? It is by love. When we're told not to do something that is seemingly enjoyable in our eyes, because it has dire consequences, sometimes that forbidden act just overtakes our mind and that's the only thing we see. Mankind has been able to give up all sorts of great things in their life just because they could not stay away from the forbidden fruit. I wanted to spend a little bit more time really digging deeper and thinking more about this forbidden fruit. Now as mentioned, I want us to wait for God to make his case in this world so we need to remain objective and only follow the evidence to where it may lead. The only thing that we are sure about is that God knew it all beforehand but allowed it to happen this way. So whether we choose to believe this truth or not becomes irrelevant as quite honestly, if God is all-powerful, supernatural, all-knowing, omnipresent, along with other characteristic attributes we simply cannot comprehend, then we honestly, then, sorry, he honestly owes us no explanation whatsoever why he does what he does. However, he has chosen to give us his viewpoint through his word. The least we could do is study for ourselves. God did not have to write a manuscript describing to us the kinds of people we are. He did not have to tell us about his creation. God did not have to explain how he put the earth into orbit and set all the stars and keeps them and keeps a watch on them, maintains everything, perfect equil equilibrium. He did not have, he does not have to explain himself. But he is choosing 
to explain himself. God is choosing to explain himself to his creation, you and I. And then he's given us the brain capacity to be able to understand exactly what he's saying. We can read, we can comprehend, and we can actually understand everything he is saying. Really? Did God really say you must not eat any of the fruit in the garden? Of course we may eat it. It's only the fruit from the tree at the center of the garden that we are not allowed to eat. God said, we must not eat it or even touch it or we will die. You won't die. God knows that your eyes will be opened when you eat it. You will become just like God, knowing everything, both good and evil. Wow. What a way to tempt or cause someone to question the ultimate condition, the ultimate warning. The only warning. This is like a perfect storm here. You have Adam and Eve in a perfect world where they only know perfection. And then they're told not to do one single thing. And this is where the storm comes in. Because then you have this perfect tempter who comes around cunning and very clever and says, really? Really you shouldn't do that? Really you shouldn't go there? Really you shouldn't be watching that? Really you shouldn't consume that? Really you shouldn't hate that? Or love that? Really? Did God really say that? Hmm. Then comes this twisted version of the truth. Of course they wouldn't die physically right away. This is why the devil said, or the serpent, you won't die. Of course, their eyes will be opened. Spiritual eyes will be opened. They were already seeing, they were not blind. And they will know not everything and they will not become just like God they will know good and evil they will know good and they will know evil again 
how many times have you been tempted to do that which you know to be wrong? How many times did you do it anyways, regardless of your knowledge of the consequences? Please take a moment and reflect on this truth. We all face many temptations and we continue to fail. To be honest, for some of us, the full knowledge of the consequences does not deter us from committing what we know to be wrong. Indeed, this knowledge of good and evil seems to be not only the loud, but can be subdued. Sound of our can subdue the sound of our consciences, and the intent can actually twist the intent part of our free will. And you know what? Just in our courts of law, I mean, just as in our courts of law, uh, the punishment in judgment is less severe with such charges as manslaughter or second degree murder versus first degree murder. So in the manslaughter or second degree murder, you can be excused to some extent as maybe you had like a temporary loss of judgment or, um, you know, there's some sort of reason uh, there was no like intent. There was no, you did not plan this out. Um, you committed a crime. Yes, it is punishable in our courts. Yes. However, you did not mean to commit this, this crime, whatever it is. Whatever heinous crime that we could be talking about. The other one though, you know, first degree murder. Um, you gotta have intent because there's planning and uh, you gotta prepare yourself for the murder, whatever it is, or, um, you know, whatever heinous crime you're thinking about. And then you go and uh, you, you carry out, um, whatever crime it is. And, and that, that usually carries maximum penalties. You know, you have lifetime penalties, you have life without parole, you have multiple life um you know just life imprisonment um and in some countries they still carry the maximum penalty which is you know death um but this is where we all find ourselves we all find ourselves in a situation where we know if you're reading and listening to this, you know the difference between right and wrong. You know inside. You, you know. And I'm supposing this is where we brought ourselves or we bring ourselves judgment. Because not only is there intent, but there's also planning and orchestrating. We have the knowledge, the full knowledge of what is right and wrong so when we do what is wrong what is stopping us from being judged however we will continue to understand what is written from the perspective of the scriptures if there is only one single forbidden action in our entire existence how much consequences and judgment should be placed on the 
direct and willful disobedience of that act. If your parents told you not to do only a single thing, you could do anything you want. Or if the governments told us you could do anything you want but this one thing. You know, uh, you, you, could, you could choose to um, carry out your, your lives uh, in whatever way you, you perceive and in whatever pursuit of happiness you choose. Um, the only thing you cannot do, for example, is hate God or maybe in the same stream of thought, hate each other. You can do anything you want, but you cannot, you cannot hate God or hate your neighbor. So how much consequences would be placed on hating God and your neighbor? What, what could be the fallout on that? What should be the fallout of that? If this is the only thing that you cannot do, if you do it, what consequences should await or ensue? Just a question. But Sam, the devil was allowed to exist and therefore deceive. Yeah, for sure. Indeed, we can let God explain the consequence of such a character. But why don't we focus on our responsibilities first and foremost? They were not forced. No one took their free will and then and, and the warning was directly from the one who made them. The consequences were even laid out for them. The fact that the deceiver is there in the garden becomes irrelevant in light and context of the role God played in their lives. This direct disobedience of a command proves, proves to, to every human and, heaven, and even heavenly hosts that it is a possibility simply because love demands a free will. If you don't have a free will, that's not true love. True love demands a free will. We have looked into what, what that free will sounds and looks to us. It comes with responsibilities. Our free will comes with responsibility. Because it's a huge, it's a huge deal to be given a free will. You can do whatever you want. You listening, you can do whatever you want. You reading, you can do whatever you want. You can literally do whatever you want. However, however, there are consequences to your actions. Do whatever you want, but there are consequences to your actions. As it is written, the woman was convinced. The fruit looked so fresh and delicious, and it would make her so wise. Hmm. 
So she ate some of the fruit. <sighs> and she also gave some to her husband who was with her. Then he ate it too. Every time I read this passage, I'm very saddened. My heart breaks for all of humanity. For all of humanity. Yeah, we could say, God, don't create Satan. Don't create Lucifer. Like, you know what he'll do before you even created him. Don't create him. And, and maybe, and maybe this is when we can infer to some of our, our infamous dictators around the world. Beg God, you know, God, please don't create Idi Amin or Mussolini. God, please, please, don't create Stalin. Or maybe in past history, like some of the pharaohs or King Herod. God, don't create them. Father, don't, don't create Hitler. Don't, just don't create them. Just let him not exist. We, yeah, we could... We could look at our world, look at the influence that some of people, some of our humanity has done and beg God not to create them. However, that would mean that we would have to also beg him not to create us, you and I. Just because their wrongs are so big and stained in blood and they're in history books um, does not mean that their sins were any more um, you know, fundamental than our own. Okay, the consequences for sins is different. So you could say there's different weight to, to different sins. However, a sin is a sin. A disobedience is a disobedience. Whether big or small does not matter. A sin is a sin. From the smallest that you could think of to the biggest that you can see and perceive a sin remains a sin in light of perfection zero sin is where you would need to be that's why perfection is zero sin as soon as there is even a fraction of wrongdoing, whatever it is, of rebellion, of disobedience, of going against, 
that sin and it carries consequences. Her husband was with there was was with her, sorry, and he ate it too. I keep repeating, it was Adam who was given the warning, and he was to pass it on to his wife. What kind of job did he do? Did he share with Adam with Eve the the consequences of his of the warning that he was given? So this is where we all find ourselves, regardless of every identity and the heaven and on earth. Anyone who says they've never done wrong are 100% full of lies and the truth is not in them. I'd posed this question before. What do we do when our wrongs have been found out? Hmm. I can't help but remember a time of my life when I had made one of the biggest mistakes in my adult life. I had decided to break the law and was about to pay the full price of the, that grievous error in judgment. You see, my license had been suspended for driving under the influence of alcohol. And this was not the first time. I was prohibited to drive for about two years. But just a mere few weeks before I would regain the privilege of driving again, I secured a job out of town and it just so happened that one of the bus lines had gone on strike. So I justified that I didn't have a choice but to break the law. Big mistake. Standing in front of the judge was meant to be intimidating. Indeed, I was unafraid as I knew my case was actually with my maker God and he is the just God. I was convinced that leaving my case with the one whose title is love is all-powerful, all-knowing, omnipresent, the very one who made me in his image will be the best choice I could make in this life. I surrendered my will and accepted his consequences to those he had placed in power. Though they also had the free will to either be impartial in their sentencing or otherwise. What did Adam and Eve do? They did exactly what we are all most likely to do. They had never been vulnerable until this very moment. As it is written, at that moment, their eyes were opened and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. So, they strung fig leaves together around their hips to cover themselves. Can anyone genuinely deny the shame they feel upon being found out after committing some wrong? I know I can't. I would be the first to admit it. This discovery and the emotions that comes after are to first bring into our minds that we have deliberately done something wrong and two, that we need to turn away from that wrong never again to commit it or at the very least, try hard not to be repeat offenders. Hmm. 
Upon realizing our wrongs, this is the point of facing it, taking complete ownership of that wrong, turning away from it, seeking forgiveness from anyone we have affected. Because someone always is. Otherwise, it wouldn't be a wrong. And then setting our eyes on everything good, so help us God. We could really talk and talk and talk regarding this one point because it is fundamental to our existence. If we get this right, then we can literally look at ourselves in the mirror, realize that we have blemish, we have a blemish, we have, there's something not right inside of us. And you could even, you could even, sorry, um, you could even say that it started out with our parents, Adam and Eve, and it's been carried through genetically to each of us. Maybe we ought to dedicate this incredible topic, this juncture, this crossroads. in one more episode. For now, let me remind you as always, you're priceless, you're precious. You have a mission that only you can accomplish and that I love you, but God loves you exponentially more. Be blessed. Until next time, goodbye.